Hey, thank you for joining us. This is uh, FYI, I am Damage, episode three. I'm with Albania, the educational specialist, and thank you for being here. Uh, I know thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, you really jumped at the chance to be on the podcast when I put it out and put the idea out. And full disclosure, you are um sister to my wife you're my sister-in-law and you've you know saw the idea of the podcast you jumped at the chance and um you know i want to say thank you and why why was it why weren't you when you heard the idea or you heard the intro what was that itch that got you to be like you know what i want to be on it without me approaching you first well, to me, as soon as I heard about the idea, it's something that I've always felt that I kind of wanted to do. I just didn't know how or how to share my story or things that I've gone through in life that now I feel like I've made me stronger. So in essence, I felt that this was an opportunity that I can reach other people that have experienced things that I've gone through. And without being a dialogue between me and somebody else and like they feel like they cannot say certain things but here you're just listening to me and and I'm in all hopes that they're just comfortable um I personally think is a great idea now that things have become so hard for a lot of people especially people during the pandemic um people changed some people got used to not being around other people some people have gone into really depressed situations and some people have gone through even more trauma that I, I can even imagine. Right. And I wonder how are they going to come out of that? Even now that things have gotten a little better with the mask lift and social distancing kind of changed a little bit. And, being, you know, we got a little bit more freedom. But are we? How do we deal with what has COVID has left behind? Right. right. So I feel that there is always help that people can get. but. Maybe they don't know if they can and they don't know how to get the help. So maybe this podcast, maybe me expressing my story has nothing to do with COVID really. But mm -hmm. in reality, it is a situation that I felt lost, confused, um, with an extremely amount of pain that I felt I was not going to be able to survive. Right. Uh, which is what many people that are now trying to deal with the fact that COVID affected them that way. Or have to deal with. So I want to share how I can, how I was able to come up and be strong and mm -hmm. kind of say, like I always say, keep it moving. <laughs> That's and, right. You know, survive. Absolutely. I mean, and what we're touching on, which is, you know, in the, the title that I listed this episode and, you know, you gave your thumbs up is, you know, one of life's deepest loss. And we're here because... Uh, you were pregnant with twins. You've had a miscarriage with them. And we're going to explore how you going through such something so tremendous. Not e it's, you know, traumatically tremendous. I mean, it's insane to think I'm a man. I cannot even begin to put myself in your position. So we're going to delve into how you came out of this you know, hopefully stronger than ever, not as before as ever, and just keep getting stronger through it because 
my personal opinions aside of it, it's we're just going to touch on your strengths and you getting to this point where you are now. Yeah, it's, it's a tough topic still. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But yeah, November 2013, I found out I was going to have a baby again. I already had my son, Jaden. He was four at that time. Mm. Uh, yeah, four. And I was like, okay, great. Then December, first saw my grandma, found out it was twins. Mm. It was so exciting. <laughs> it was like, it was one of the most amazing news. It was the day after Christmas too, so it was great. Um, so to me, it was, at first I was shocked. Like, what am I going to do? And I remember calling my sister RG first. Like, oh my God, like, what am I, like, I felt like I was going to get in trouble, even though I was married. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like, I take care of my kids, but I felt like my mom was going to be like, okay, another one. So anyway, so yeah, so it was, it was, um, it was very nerve wracking at that moment, but a lot of people said, you know, that's such a blessing. Mm -hmm. So here comes, and I'm enjoying the moment, find out that it's twins. February, I find out right before Valentine's, pretty ironic mm. found out i was having a boy and a girl wow. so i automatically thought of my baby shower theme and first set of twins <laughs> in the family in my family yes okay my husband does um in his family it's a couple of set of twins oh, okay yes. um his yes. father and has a twin with a female and they are twins i'm um, cousins that he has right. shout out to natasha and amanda <laughs> <laughs> you know so there was already sets of twins, so it was cool. But usually they say it depends on the mom's side. I don't really know if there was somebody else in my mom's side, but... Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so in reality, it was, like, big for me. So that was one of the biggest moments of my life. So, yeah, February 13, I found out I was having a boy and a girl, and I was already planning that baby shower. It was going to be the Flintstones with Pebbles and Bam Bam theme. And you're in, I, I want to say this, you're an amazing party thrower you party planner along with um your sisters you guys when you guys plan a party you plan a Thank party you. yeah like this is it's it's an event yes we're about to a go party. It's all the way to bedrock with this party <laughs> <laughs> oh man so it was like very it was great um i remember my husband jose he actually gave me a pandora bracelet with a little teddy bear symbolizing the boy and the girl for Valentine's. So that was like really big for me. <laughs> it was cute. Um, but then unfortunately on February 23rd, basically just 10 days later, uh, my water broke. So I went into mm. a preterm labor basically. So I was rushed to the hospital and they say, yeah, it was my water broke. They couldn't figure out what was happening. The babies were still there. Everything seemed okay, they wanted to figure out if they can make it to being viable, which is really 24 weeks. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I can't recall, um, it was like maybe seven, eight, 17, almost 18 weeks at that moment. So I was like, wow, this is going to be a while. But I was willing to do whatever it takes. And I was in the hospital um, just waiting for news. The doctors basically kept coming in, preparing me to tell me like, you're not going to, this baby's not going to make it because as soon as your body goes into labor, it's going to continue the labor process. There's nothing that we can do. Mm -hmm. 
And they kept saying, if we do anything that kind of stitch you, you could have an infection and you can die. But at that moment, you hear all that stuff and it's like, you don't care. You say, oh, you say, I just want my baby. I right. just want this baby to make it. And it was only um, the boy. The baby A was the one who broke the bag of water. And no one can tell me what it, why. There was nothing that they could do either. Right. Okay. So there I was in the hospital for days just waiting to hoping that things would get a little better. Mm -hmm. But every single day, it was just uh, another way for them to tell me, like, we could just take this baby out now because it's not going to make it. And right. if it does make it and he comes out at 24 weeks, he's going to have all these deformities and and now you're going to be able to deal with that. And now that's the same as I just want my baby, even though I was thinking, I'm not going to lie, I was thinking sometimes, like, can I really deal with that? Because... For those of anybody that knows Jaden, that was a handful. And at three, four years old, I was like, "What? Well, how am I going to be able to deal with all of this? But I really wanted my baby. So I was willing to, I wasn't listening. I just wanted my baby. Right. Okay. And for those that haven't experienced this, the, the fear of a miscarriage, and we can just roll it a little bit back, like walk us through the mindset. And was there any mental support provided or offered? And did you take it? Did they, did someone had the forethought to approach you in that sort of um, space yeah. to say, Hey, look, whether the outcome is good or not, you, your mental needs to be looked after. Was that, was that there? Yeah, and that's a very good question because let me tell you, shout out to Lawrence Hospital because that hospital mm -hmm. has tremendous or amazing nursing staff. Those nurses will sit there. They will talk to me nicely. They never gave me a moment to think that my baby was not going to make it. Mm -hmm. They would encourage me. They would sit there if, they, if I wanted to speak to someone. Um, they provided all the support. They were just listening. Mm -hmm. They weren't telling me what to do. Which the doctors are, of course, doctors are supposed to tell you what's the worst case scenario. Right. Um, but they gave me the peace of mind for me to be able to feel like, okay, it's okay that I'm still trying to keep this baby. Right. So th they would sit there and I would just vent. Sometimes they would try to distract me and they would try to talk to me about my son that I had at home. Mm -hmm. um, and I would show them pictures. So it helped. Oh. My job was just to stay in bed until those babies made it to 24 weeks. Right. And the support that I got at the hospital really helped. I felt like I would have definitely gone insane not knowing if there is a chance that I was those babies were going to make it or not. And then you're and you were in that mindset to accept that that help even though they were doing it it seems like indirectly Yes, because they basically continued to let me know what was going to happen, but said, but we'll see. Right. But he's do you're doing great. There are no infections. As long as there was no infections, there was hope. That's a big thing. Because the infection, mm -hmm. and they kept saying the infection will be the key thing that your, your fever will spike. So mm -hmm. that I always was checking my fever. Um, and we automatically, they have to go in because then I will, you know, I will die and right. they will have to take my baby. 
So I did, I had antibiotics to keep everything at normal level. So as long as those things remain, I, I had hope. Okay. The entire time I was in the hospital, I swear I became a science teacher. Mm. I researched every single article, every single scenario that had, and I was into, I did the journals, the real journals. Yeah. Not the Wikipedia. <laughs> just to give me some type of hope of like, what are the chances that somebody who pre-prom, that's the term they used, at 17 weeks was going to be able to make it. And there were a lot of um, articles that kind of gave me hope. And I said, now nah, we, we're making it. Ooh, I turned to God. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a Catholic, yes, but you know, mm-hmm. it's like most Catholic, we try to. Absolutely. We call, we call Jesus when we need him the yeah. most. And that was me. I had a lot of friends that brought me stuff from baby Jesus praying. That was big for me. Mm-hmm. I needed people to pray for me. And I felt that also gave me a lot of strength, knowing that people were in agreement of me wanting to sacrifice up to the last minute of my entire situation, mm-hmm. as long as these babies can make it. Okay. Now, the, the fear of this loss, it's always in the back of your head. You're dealing with this at any point. Did you have a moment of clarity where you were able to steady yourself and strengthen yourself in, ca- in case things took a turn for the worse? I know you said about your faith, and I, I do believe in that. Not when you only have trouble, you pray to whatever, to whomever. Um, so was there during this journey of yours, was there like moments of clarity where you, regardless of what happens, you knew you were going to be okay, or just something struck you that says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stand up and not collapse. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, to say, to answer that question, I basically have to kind of end the story of my journey. My, um, by March 6th, which is why this week has been a very emotional one. But March 6th, I couldn't hold the baby anymore. The doctor sent me home. And at home, I tried to use the bathroom and the umbilical cord collapse of the baby boy, mm. my baby Christian, because he did have a name by then. Um, and my baby Christian was born sleeping. So he was basically stillborn mm. um, because he didn't die in the womb. He died as soon as he came out. His lungs weren't developed and he wasn't able to breathe. So he was. Um, he passed away March 6th at 8.30 in the morning. Um, I was rushed to the hospital in, in an ambulance because my husband was able to see the umbilical cord um, in the toilet. So we were collapsing down. like mm-hmm. So it was very crazy. Um, and then I stayed in the hospital. I believe that after that, and I delivered the placenta, but the other placenta, because they were fraternal twins, was fine that the girl will be able to make it. They kept telling me that there's a high chance that once your body goes into labor, it won't stop. But my body defied that and actually stopped. So I, all I had to do was stay in the hospital. And of course, again, no infection because that was already open. The uterus is open. Mm-hmm. Um, 
well, my cervix. That's basically what it says. So it could be a, um, even going to the bathroom could cause me some type of infection. So we were praying for that not to happen. Right. But then, unfortunately, and I felt it in my heart March 12th. Um, we'll see, it happened basically March 11th at night. I didn't want my husband to go, and I felt something weird. I felt a little bit of leakage. And unfortunately, the bag of water for baby girl Kayla mm -hmm. burst um, also. So it was trickling down. So the doctor said, there is not much more that you can do. Your body's going into labor. And I was saying, in my head still, like, no, that's impossible. I can still hold her. By this time, I was already 20 weeks. So I was able to hold them a little bit, another additional two weeks. So baby boy passed at 19 weeks and baby girl at 20. Mm -hmm. And I went when I was trying to like not deliver, and but unfortunately the body does what it wants to do, and I went to actually um delivery. I was having cr um contractions really bad, and I'm like, yo, she's only 20 weeks. Why is this hurting so much in my head? And crying, and I was like, I felt defeated. I felt like I tried so hard to keep these babies inside of me for so long. And even the whole time that I was there, I thought about my students and my school, my job, like everybody that was fighting for me to to be there. Like I'm a workaholic. So for me not to be at work for those days and it was killing me. And I was like, I'm, I, I need this to serve a purpose. I want my babies to be here. And I said I did it for them. And but then unfortunately it didn't happen. And when I went into labor, it was really traumatic. I was about, it was about 1030 in the morning, but I was losing so much blood and, and I was crying. So I think my body went into complete shock and I ended up having a seizure there. I don't recall too much what happened right there. My husband says my eyes rolled back and uh, my sister was there and she was crying and they called the doctor and they rushed me into the operation room because my body temperature had dropped and yeah, I remember feeling really cold. Right. And at that moment, my heart rate was too high. Mm -hmm. So there was a huge risk that I was going to die. So they rushed me to try to take the baby out, um, for me to deliver the baby. And that way, you know, so they can help me get my body back to in temperature and get blood from everywhere because I had lost so much. But I remember at that moment, and I will never forget looking at the doctor that was rushing me because I came back into my sense when they were rushing me to the OR. Right. And I, I looked at him and I said, I already lost two babies. I have a son at home. Please don't let me die. And I will never forget those words because I knew I had lost the battle at that moment. But to me, it was so important that I came back for Jaden because I couldn't lose everything. I couldn't lose me at that moment as well. As many people may think that, yeah, it's fine to like, you know, you die and then you, you know, the babies and you, you're with them. Some people may even think that like, yeah, I don't want to survive after something like this. But then you got to think about what you leave behind. That's right. And to me, the moment that I felt they kept saying that my heart rate was too high and, you know, my blood pressure, they, they, I didn't have enough blood. They needed to find blood everywhere. But I'm hearing these things and I'm like, wait, 
there's a chance that I'm going to die. That's impossible. Mm. So that was, sorry. No. (laughs) That was very, um, that that gave me the strength to speak on it. To be able to deal with that. Because at that moment, I realized it was it was important that I fought for myself. Mm-hmm. I lost the battle fighting for my babies, but I couldn't give up on me. So that way, I can be back for Jaden. Right. So he gave me that strength for me to come back in. No, that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And before all of this started just going left and going through what you just described. Cause you touched on something where you were reading into everything and going into it, uh, like I said, uh, going into medical journals and not just, you know, Googling stuff, but how acutely aware of what you, how acutely aware of your awareness of your body and what does it go through? Like the, it, 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 it heightens yeah. because you, you care, you're going through something. You don't want a loss and you're going through something. Now you're paying attention to the literature and that's one thing, but then you're being, you're looking inward and how hyper vigilant where you were about everything going on in your body before that event. Before everything happened, I, it's, it's crazy because people don't know what that that is actually a real thing being pregnant is a miracle mm-hmm. our bodies the other uh, female body is made um is very acidic so it's made to destroy every single sperm cell that goes in there mm-hmm. so that little baby that goes <laughs> all the way up there you are a miracle mm-hmm. i didn't know any of that i did have i did have a miscarriage prior to um the twins um, very, it was very early stage, about seven weeks, close to seven weeks. It was, you know, it was, it was heartbreaking of course. Um, but I had just gone to like one appointment. Um, I didn't get the chance to hear a heartbeat. So at least it wasn't that traumatic at that moment as how I'm fell from my twins. It was something that I never really mentioned to anyone. Cause it's like something that people say, people mm-hmm. don't speak about being pregnant earlier than three months because they know that if something God forbid happens, then you have to deal with talking about what happened and bringing up those painful um, feelings. And not a lot of people are prepared. Our bodies are not prepared for that. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I remember trying to educate myself so much about what happened, why did it happen? How could I have prevented it? And so the literature, the the groups, the work, everything that I went around looking at situations, similar situations, taught me something new about my inner self, um, my my body, about even the, the just the female anatomy in general. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I became an expert. I kind of am now. I can actually tell the gender of a baby (laughs) (laughs) and a sonogram. I think I did so many of those, but yeah, I, I learned a lot and I feel grateful because it kind of prepared me for the possibility of having more children and how to take better care of myself. Even though there was nothing that I did that could have prevented that situation with my twins. 
the body just did what it wanted to do. Right. I didn't do anything, any heavy lifting, nothing, nothing. There was nothing. Yeah. Um, There's always that question, happened. why? As everyone does like, why this? Why, 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 why? And it's a question that rarely, rarely gets answered. Yeah. I, I, I like, I love science. I believe in science. Mm-hmm. I believe in God, but I believe in science. So I need to know. My thing was, I need to know. You, you can't say, oh, it must have been God's will. Oh, God just gained another angel. I'm like, well, why I got to take mine? So to me, it doesn't go with the idea of just let it be. I mm-hmm. needed an answer. So that was something that I kept trying to get from doctors. Like, mm-hmm. what happened with my cervix? How did it open? You know? There are some speculation that it was an infection um, that kind of eats the umbilical cord lining, um, the lining of the uterus, um, one of those. Right. But obviously, it was something that made the um, the placenta rupture, and all of a sudden, right. the leakage began, and then it led to everything opening up and breaking. Right. But that's it's it's great that you took the initiative to educate yourself and trust me, I'm in the same boat with those and whoever does that, you know, I, I, I can personally appreciate a person who doesn't know how to comfort another person, but then regurgitates those cookie cutter comfort lines, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to say, and to me, it just, you know, I just say, Hey, thank you. You know, going through my trials and tribulations and, you know, yeah, it's and it's so annoying because people will really tell you, "Oh, but it's okay. You could have more." Like, why? You say that, yeah, and they say like, it that at thing, that point, like, "Oh my god!" I rather just somebody say, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry." The one word that the one sentence that someone did say to me was, "I'm trying to remember. I think it was my former principal when I was in high school." Um, she said, "These two shall pass." Wow. It was one that I'd be like, "Wow, okay." But when I heard it, I was like, "Yes, this will pass." I I remember a lot of painful situations that I've been through in my entire life, uh, trials and tribulations, how people say, but they pass, and it kind of gave me that strength to know that I was not going to die of suffering by mm. suffering or, or pain. And it helped me kind of wake up and realize that this is not the end unless you let it be the end. And I was trying to make sure I was not letting that be the end. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I decided to look at my loss as something that was going to build me as a person, not destroy me. So, and I swear it really worked. I gain a lot of strength. I'm ve- I feel like I'm very strong. I'm very independent because of what I went through. I made sure that I was kind of either self-sufficient, that I didn't have to depend on anybody to help me heal, that I can heal myself. Mm-hmm. So it's like I became my own therapist at that moment. But that took a long time. At first, I, I looked for help because Good. I realized at that moment, yes, I was... I am damaged. <laughs> so I absolutely realized that yeah. I, if I didn't get help, I didn't, I wouldn't, I would lose more. I would lose my son, my husband, my job. So 
I didn't want it to be a taboo where, you know, you can't talk about your child mm -hmm. or your miscarriage or like, oh, you're stillborns. You can't talk about any of that as society sees it. Right. So I try to make it part of me. When people ask me about them and I mention them as Christian and Kayla, yes, those are my angels in heaven and made it seem as the same way that I can have a child here. I have two children up there. Three, if we miscount my oh, That's an amazing way to look baby. at it. That's amazing. So that's, that's how it, it kept me going. And then I, I saw movies. There was a beautiful movie called, um, there was, there was one documentary made in a lifetime from, um, return to zero. Ah, mm. if you ever get across that, definitely. <laughs> it was in lifetime and it was so weird that it happened to be coming out during the same time that I was experiencing this. Um, and it's basically the same idea, a couple happy then they lose their baby and now this back to zero they have nothing um and how to come come up for that but i saw another film and read the book actually it's called heaven is for real and it's it tells the story about a little boy who was going through surgery and he basically almost died but the entire population of his father's town who was a priest was praying for this kid to make it and then he actually think i made it there of course and when he saw his mom, he mentioned to his mom about a little girl. And the mom was like, what little girl are you talking about? And he said, she's, she's like, she looks like this. And, and she says she loves you very much. And that her name was, I forgot her name, but she mentioned mm -hmm. the name. He mentioned the name and the mom was in shock. And it happened to be that the mom had a, had a stillborn little girl years before that boy was born. And he met his sister in heaven. No. So every time that somebody in our family passes away or somebody that kind of knew me a lot, <laughs> like I have a, a couple of people up there that I really love dearly still. Um, I always say like, oh, I hope you're taking care of my babies up there. I hope you're taking care of my twins. Mm. So I and mentally I create that there is a family going on in heaven that's taking care of my twins the same way that I'm here taking care of my kids. Um, so that gives me a lot of strength. I also joined, well, me and Jose, we, we joined an amazing support group up in, uh, in the hospital in Westchester County, um, that kind of allowed us to speak about it without yeah. being judged be, with hearing other people's situation. And when you realize that you're not alone, it changes you so much because you realize like, oh, so this, I'm not the only one. Right, And not because I want to say, thank God my situation wasn't like theirs, but when you hear other people's pain and how they are trying to make themselves better, and it's like they, you could, both can support each other, it was the most amazing thing. And that will, will definitely, I have a question for that as well. Now you've, you've mentioned your husband, Jose known him for the entire time I've, I've been with um, my wife. Now, now you're, you're half of a whole. And your husband took this just as hard. Even though he's not in the driver's seat of this journey you found yourself in, what was the shining example that we can get across to our listeners of how he did his best to be your rock 
and then to help the men listening to help, you know, their significant other go through this. Yeah, I actually felt like he took it sometimes a little harder than me, oh. uh, which was and like at the moment that we lost the girl that he actually expressed, he never gave up. He was there making sure that I was okay. He always told me, we, whatever you want. He supported me through the entire time. But the moment that we lost Kayla, that's when I saw him just break down and cry. Mm. And when I saw him crying, I think I cried harder there because I knew that he was trying to be strong for me the whole time. And it's like, I see him and it's like, at that moment, I felt like I let him down too. And it's like, I let us down. But when he saw me, and even when I, from my hear from other people, when he saw me go through the moment that I had the seizure, because he was right next to me, how he got so bad, like out of shape, crying and upset. And he couldn't control himself thinking that he was about to lose me. Mm. I realized there that, you know, hearing from, from more people, but I realized there that I had to fight and keep, you know, stay alive. And when finally I got to see him again, he never said, oh, baby, we lost Kayla and nothing. He was just happy that I was okay. He is like, like if I was born mm. to him. So I think at that moment, I realized that he's not mad at me that we didn't keep the baby, the babies didn't make it. Um, That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. He was more happy that now, like I'm still with him. Right. And anything I wanted, he's not a, the only thing he didn't, he couldn't do emotionally is go go to church again with me he couldn't no. um i think he was really upset at god <laughs> but to each his own i couldn't tell him like oh don't be because mm -hmm. i'm not gonna force him to feel a certain way about um you know religion but he, he is catholic and you know it's just anger and it's totally normal but he, we spoke, he spent all the time that he wanted with me. He let me vent, he let me cry. Never said, oh, don't cry, let it go. No, I still took two weeks off from work after um, Kayla and it gave me time to heal. Everyone was so supportive and we decided to seek help. He would come with me um, to ensure that he received the help as well. because. He knows he was um, destroyed emotionally as well. Mm. Very strong guy, but definitely a huge impact in this situation. That's very important to get across, whoever's listening. No matter how strong you think you are, trust me, you're not. And help, seek help. Don't care how strong you are. Don't care physically, mentally. Things will crack you. Things will dent that toughness. And, you know, I've known him for a few years. He's a very charismatic person, very strong person, very passionate person. But that does not mean you could withstand the weather and weather the storm and 
be okay for it. Everybody needs help from the weakest to the strongest. And that's very important. I'm glad that you got that across because people need to know that. Yeah. And, and when we went to those, um, those group, my husband likes to talk. He likes, he likes to be the center of attention. Sometimes I tell him that he says, no, but <laughs> I say, oh, Joe. okay. Let's just put it under the charismatic. But I, yes, <laughs> but it really helped that he spoke in that group. At first I thought he was, I was, he was just there for me. But at one point, I felt like I was there for him. <laughs> he talked more than I did. <laughs> and uh, and he described every scenario. And in those conversations is how I learned how much it impacted him, mm-hmm. what I went through after um, when I went to labor with Kayla, um, how afraid he was that he was about to lose me. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't help. It helped that. The men in that group made connection with each other through the pain. We saw each other comforting other couples. Um, some situations were just oh, crazy. And I was like, but why? Why is it that we always got to like hold our tongue with our loved ones and not tell them how we're really feeling? Because you can't see that pain. You break an arm, you can see that. Right. But people can't see your heart. That's right. They don't know if they're going to. Is gonna affect you, and I still to this day, because yesterday was the day Kayla would have been eight years old, mm-hmm. and I celebrate my babies every year, like like they were here. Mm-hmm. I will turn on the candle for them. I'll sing them happy birthday, even if it's just mentally, at the time that they were born, and I make a wish that they're up there celebrating with somebody new that passed mm-hmm. away in the family. And I and and I've been to places that I go to either a funeral, or I hear somebody passed away, and I say, like, make sure you look for my twins and tell them I love them. Because people that knew me well during the time that I was pregnant with them know how much I loved them. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was important. I felt like it was important that I would tell them one that one day. So I always send that message with somebody um that passes away. Mm-hmm. But my Every year I celebrate them um, for the first couple of years, about for the first seven years. I think I just this year that I finally kind of eased myself out. I had a, I felt the need to turn on a candle every mar- every six of every month and every 12th of every month. Mm. Um, and it was a way for me to stay close to them. Um and little by little, I feel like I said, the day that I begin to heal, I know that I won't feel the need to do that. Right. I did feel guilt at the beginning. There was one time that I actually forgot. I cried so much. It was early in the years, and I forgot to turn on my candle, and I, I cried so much. I felt like a horrible mom. Mm. And that's the, the pain that I was still feeling. I always found a way to try to stay connected. And that and that shows that even even going through this, it's maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong. That it's normal that you beat yourself up more than not, and it's something that people need to understand that it's part of the process. Even though, yes, yeah, someone can probably say, "Don't be so hard on yourself," but how hard is it not to be? 
Yeah, it's, it is hard. Like I said, sometimes like you don't know how you're going to feel. And you want to have, you want to take control of that feeling. You don't want people to tell you how to feel. Right. So some people would say like, but, but it's okay that you, you could just turn it on right now. It's not the same thing. Right. You're right. It's not the same thing. And then it's like, you can't tell someone how to feel, especially at the moment that they feel so vulnerable. Like I've, I, it was like a reset of everything. I actually have a little story about my a reset moment I had. So there's this um, company called Molly Bears, mm-hmm. amazing company that actually creates a little teddy bear um, based on the weight of your baby. Mm-hmm. So my babies were about um, a few ounces. Um, so they will make the teddy bear the same way, put some things that kind of remind you. So mine said like little angel wings, one pink, one blue. And to me, when I, I w- they're free. They're made just to help the parents see you. I actually have shared with friends that have gone through that and, and they like having a piece of them. For some reason, I don't know, it's still that connection. And, right. But I was going to be receiving that, and I, I received the email that is being delivered by, it was USPS. You know their system. <laughs> the worst. And I'm waiting Saturday. I cleaned the house, and I'm waiting all day. And I keep checking the app. And it says, I look, at one point it says that delivery exception that nobody was home. Mm. I felt like my twins were taken from me again. Like I wanted to die. I, I cried. I went around looking for the truck. And he said, I think it was my other person and this and that. So I found one truck and it was, he didn't have it. So, I, you know, USPS, when they are not, when they tire and they don't want to deliver anymore, they just mm-hmm. put that there and that's it. They, pick up again on Monday. I did get them on Monday, but I felt that I was waiting so patiently because it takes months for them to create this. Yeah. And when I was waiting for it with so much hope and that moment, yeah, I felt very I destroyed. I cried all over, like it happened all over again. Did you find that, did you find that as a regular occurrence where if you plan something for this, that you just basically not hit a hundred, but hit a thousand and like go on a tear. That was that happening a lot? Yeah. It w- and it still happens actually, because even though it was Kayla's birthday yesterday, I was so busy with Jaden having games, Kylie dance, and like I didn't I did I wanted to be home to turn on her candle. Cause that's at least for the year, definitely I, I can, I want to continue that. But she was born at 10 30 in the morning and I wanted to be home and I couldn't because I was at Jaden's game still. And I felt angry. I felt like anxiety in, inside because I, I in, inside of me, I feel like I was letting the baby down in the window, you know, I, and I, and I sang happy birthday from the um, basketball court. And I was just like, it was still not the same. I feel like, am I forgetting them? And I felt this guilt. Like, am I forgetting them? Am I like letting them go? And then, you know, I always put a post. People say happy birthday. And I don't even, you know, I even pay mind to what people say. And I appreciate it so much though, because the love helps. But to me, it's a way for me to 
sent a message to her. So, you know, it's not, I don't, it's not about attention. I want people to actually see that I'm okay. That now, even though it's been eight years, I still think about them, love them, but I'm still here and I can still move on and I'm still strong. Right. Um, so I don't post anything in a kind of morbid way. I just say, Hey, happy birthday. I hope that so-and-so is throwing you a huge party and like I would do here and stuff like that right. in a more positive look, because those are still my babies. I am a mother of five. No matter what, I delivered those babies, mm-hmm. even though they didn't make it, but they're still my babies. Now, with what have you learned? What sort of <laughs> mental strength tactics you learned? Because even though you said you still... You still feel that way. You could still get ramped up if something doesn't happen the way you would like it to, to pay homage to them. What have you learned? What what have you been taught? And what may have you realized to deal with that type of, you know, just unbridled force of anger and whatever you feel? I mean, please let us know. Yeah, I, I live in survival of the fittest mode. A lot of my friends be like, can't live in the evolutionary world. I'm like, I, I, I have to. Mm-hmm. I have to mentally tell myself, you got to keep going. You have to be strong. Because right now, it's not about me. I have three kids that depend on me. Mm-hmm. I have a husband. Love him dearly. But at the end of the day, those three kids depend on me until they cannot anymore. So I can't give up on myself. I can't give up in doing what's best for them. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we, we have no control of the things that happen. Um, I, I knew that. <laughs> I remember during the pregnancy with Kylie and Jasmine. Those are my two little rainbows. Because after that storm, those, my, those were my rainbows. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being pregnant with Kylie and I was scared. I the joy that I felt first, I was trying for like about a year mm. um, because I just felt the need to be pregnant again because I felt like I was robbed. You know, I, it was a year after the twins and I felt like I was like, they just stole them from me. And coincidentally, I actually found out I was pregnant in a year later in between the twins um, birth, um, first birthday. So I felt happy for literally 30 seconds. All I said was like, thank God, finally, yes. But those were the most, the happiest 30 seconds of my life. Because after that, I just needed this baby to make it. So every single second, every time I went to the bathroom and nothing was leaking, every time I went to the doctor and my uterine lining was thick, every day, everything mattered so much more. Things that you wouldn't even think about. I had questions. Oh my God. I think those doctors were like, yo, she needs to like. So that gave me the strength. When you educate yourself and you realize that you can make things work if you if you're knowledgeable, especially knowing about how to make sure that you that doesn't happen, what you do have control. Because at the beginning, when it comes to a pregnancy, you really don't have a lot of control. So you gotta let your body do what it wants to do. So I, that mindset actually kicked in when I was pregnant with Jasmine. Right. 
Um, with Jasmine was a different. First of all, she was a miracle. I didn't know I was pregnant until like about nine weeks. Right. Um, but at that moment, I realized that what's going to happen is going to happen. So I made sure that I continued my life the way it was. Mm-hmm. I kept going to the gym. I went to the gym until two days before I delivered this girl. I was 38 weeks and four days. And I was able to hold my baby strong. And mm, I said, I can't be afraid every single second the way I did with Kylie. Right. Because it was crazy. It was very bad for my mental health. I, at that moment, I said, no, I working out is my way of dealing with almost anything. Right. So it gave me strength. It allowed me to continue moving forward. Um, of course, speaking to family members that either, for example, they've been through stuff like that because at that moment, that's the moment that you actually realize that people go through this. You hear family, oh, yeah, it happened to this one. And I'm like, why you guys never prepared me for like the stuff that I may be dealing with. Yeah. So that definitely made a huge change for me. Um, knowing that I was not alone. I'm not the only one in the family that went through that. So that kind of also, um, gave me strength. Like if they survive, you know, my aunts, uh, ancestors, they survive. I can, I can too. And everything for me is survival of the fittest. I keep going. (laughs) Now you said, um, you and if I didn't, if I don't quote you correctly, that that's okay. What what I what you said that you wanted to have another baby soon after. Now that feeling was it um a a a, a mental need, a mental want, or was you physically feeling that you wanted another baby, like just something physically calling you, or you were mentally determined to have another kid consciously determined to have yeah another kid. i was so determined and it was because i was consciously determined yeah i was okay. consciously determined i'm telling you i became an expert on getting pregnant mm. and i tried even though i had no issues in getting pregnant i didn't use any methods to get twins i didn't have to do any of that but i felt such an emptiness inside in my heart um and I felt like I needed to, I needed to be pregnant in order to for the pain of losing my twins to go away. That doesn't work, mm, okay. <laughs> not at all, because you actually. I I never felt any type of like resentment about being pregnant because I definitely wanted, but I was scared. What mom doesn't want to enjoy being pregnant? Right. So, and that first year, and then I had to be put on bed rest, and then I had. My my uterine lining was actually thinning at one point, so I was always in. I was always scared every single day. That I was scared that my baby was not gonna make it, and and I said, I can't, I can't do this again. I cannot do this again. And I swore I'm gonna fight to the end to make sure Kylie makes it. Um, and no more kids. Um, Jasmine didn't like the idea. She decided to come, but definitely. Now that worry, that worry that you had, that worry that you had to make sure you carry her to term, get her here and, you know, be the awesome mother that you are. What, (laughs) what would, um, what would get you out of that 
and correct me if I'm wrong, it's like maybe a spiral because they say like, if you feel a certain way, the baby feels it worse. So what would get you out of that basically worry zone to be like, you know what? I got this. Well, I am reading. I made sure that I continue to educate myself in terms of like what was happening, even though they, you know, they had to do a stitch in my cervix to make sure that the baby stayed. So I kept my mind focused on an end goal. And my end goal was to do whatever it takes mm. to keep this baby inside. They put me on bed rest. I did that. Um, no heavy lifting. Um, if they really didn't do anything with food, but I did the surclash. I had to go weekly, which was the most difficult thing to go and get progesterone shots and making sure that my body, you know, didn't go into labor until, and when I made it to viability, which is 24 weeks, I decided that's when I shared it with the world. I was scared to even share that I was pregnant at that time. And it had to do because I saw and I knew how many people suffered for me for what I went through. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I didn't want, I didn't want that again. I didn't want them to feel like that. I didn't want to get those people's hopes up. So at that moment, I'm like really caring about more other people than me. So that, that, that 24 week cusp after you passed it, that helped ease those fears and you know, you, you're paying attention to your body. You're educating yourself on your health and, but your mental well-being, that was kind of like the point where you're saying, you know what? I don't have to be scared anymore. Yeah, that there was the uh, there I was like, okay. It was <laughs> funny because I, I, I knew so much that I would say, okay, the baby's lungs are good. <laughs> okay. And then I like, at 26, the baby is fully developed. So everything was a huge milestone. Every week was a milestone. Mm. And me keeping myself looking forward to the following week and how the baby's growing. And then the following that motivated me to keep going until I was like about 34 weeks and the uterine lining was thin. And they said, but we can give you this um, shot that can um, make the baby's lung, you know, start working well. And I went to the hospital. I said, let's do it. Because if this baby comes out tomorrow, I'll feel much better. So working with the doctors and kind of noticing how my pregnancy was progressing day by day really helped. I was working, so that was a good distraction. Jaden, still a handful. Definitely a distraction of that helped me deal with the loss of the twins. And But even though I was pregnant, I still always kept thinking about my babies and I kept asking them to help me keep this baby inside. So that was, that was big for me. Okay. No, that, and that's, that's a great point to work on. Now we're going to have to swing into part two and we will touch more on all the stuff you went through and um, get to more poignant ways of how you came out of this stronger than you ever were. And we'll get back to you in about a week, uh, listeners. So this is uh, FYI, I am damaged. Stay tuned for part two. Yeah.